It's a letter that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that he had founded and uh, spent a year and a half with them, established the church, trained up some leaders, got them ready to go, and then he moved on to another place. And he just kind of continued to pastor them from afar uh, through letters and representatives and some visits in person. and uh, Been a lot of drama in the church since he left. And so he was trying uh, as best he could to continue to be faithful in Ephesus where he was working at the time to try to establish another church and also help this church that meant so much to him, this group of people that meant so much to him, uh, help them through their their issues and continue to grow uh, for the glory of God. And so um, we just started at the beginning and just kind of looked at the different issues that he addressed and stuff like that and tried to establish some context for us to be able to understand what's going on. Um, so in chapter 4, the first little section here is really a continuation of chapter 3. And so we're going to try to um, basically add to what he's been talking about already. And I've um, been kind of working off this illustration that may or may not be good. Uh, it makes sense to me, but there are just so many times when things make perfect sense to me and it makes sense to no one else or whatever. So um, I... Haven't heard one way or the other, so I'm just going to assume that everybody's been connecting perfectly. Uh, so we'll see. But um, so we'll get to that in a minute. Let's start at the beginning of uh, chapter four and um, see what he has to say. So he's been talking about being a minister of of the new covenant of Christ, which is another way of saying he's he's a minister of of the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, the message of Christ. He just proclaims Jesus um, as. Uh, as the source of life, and as a uh, as like God in the flesh, and um, I mean everything we've been singing about tonight just all points back to Christ, and so um, that's what he's been talking about in chapter three. So in verse one he says, "Therefore, having this ministry, that's what he's talking about, being a minister of the gospel, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart." But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the light of God. And even if, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of, un, of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. Okay, um, So we're just going to start in, in verse 1, just kind of 
go through it a little by little. He covers a lot of ground. Some of it is continuing what he's been talking about. Some of it is kind of preparing us for where we're going ahead. Uh, verse 1 says, Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Um, he, uh, he had a lot of opposition. So whenever he left Corinth and went to Ephesus to start uh, this other work, uh, he had lots of critics that came in and tried to discount what he did. So a lot of this letter is him, um, him addressing this group of people who know him. He doesn't necessarily attack those who are attacking him. He doesn't. Uh, it's not like a political ad where it's where uh, you know it's all about why these guys aren't legit and he is. He's just talking about him. He's just talking about himself to people who know him, and um, that's just the approach that he's taking. He's uh, you know keeping it classy or whatever. So he says. Having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Uh, the very nature of the ministry that he's called to, uh, it just breeds hope. So he's basically saying that we're not losing heart because we have some opposition. We're not losing heart because things are difficult. We're not losing heart because there are times of suffering or persecution or whatever. We don't lose heart because the very ministry we're called to, it, it produces hope. Like that's counterintuitive to what the gospel's all about. So, so we're, we're not losing heart and Primarily because God Himself is the one who, in His mercy, called us to do this. So everything's fine. Um, verse 2 says, But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So everything that we are doing in ministry is done out in the open. Like We haven't tried to hide anything. There's been nothing shady about what's going on. And, and that was a part of what he was being accused of. Because ministry at that point had become like, like people were like, hey, here's an opportunity to make money and to gain like power in a weird sense. And so he had all these people coming in, and they would come in and they would preach somewhere, and then they would like take an offering that they would get to take. you know, Or it was all about, they were basically like, I'm a servant of God, so you guys need to be giving me money to support my, my life because I'm doing the Lord's work kind of deal. It just become really manipulative, and Paul wasn't. That wasn't his approach. He wasn't trying to get money of him from him ever, and so that for some reason people were like, "Yeah, this guy. He didn't even want your money," which to us we'd be like, "Hey, I think that's kind of cool," but to them they're like, "Yeah, that's kind of weird. Why doesn't he want our money? What's going on? There must be something else. Something else is happening, you know, or whatever." And so there are all these people calling into question his integrity, and he just keeps coming back to them like, "Look." Everything we've done is out in the open. Um, my conscience is clear. Yours will be too. Uh, if you really examine what's going on here, there's really nothing to worry about. Um, but look where he, he says, um, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. And that is, that's an interesting point because one of the things that, you know, him not taking money was, was one part of it, but another part of it was uh, they said that he was like watering down the law. So that he was like tampering with God's word and he was um, like preaching something that was contrary to what was true. That was what he was being accused of. But the irony is that the people accusing him of doing that were actually doing that themselves. Um, they were the ones who were actually watering down uh, the gospel. And what was happening was they were watering down the gospel and they were like, they were being very like successful in that sense. So they, they water the gospel down, they get lots of results. Paul doesn't water the gospel down, 
and he gets like persecuted and all these problems are happening. And so what he's saying is like, look, we, we refuse to tamper with the word of God. And I think that's just, it's scary how relevant that is for us today. Um, and I think especially in the, in the tech world that we live in, um, as, as Christians, for, for us today, like it's so easy to, um, to look at, uh, like biblical teaching and, uh, and preachers and churches and ministries and all this kind of stuff. And just to, like, to see, like, the more, the more, the better, you know? I mean, the more, uh, the more daily, you know, devotions I get emailed to me, the better. The more preachers and ministries I follow on Twitter, the better. You know, the more, the more of that that's going on, the better. The more podcasts I listen to, the better. The more random sermons I catch on TV, the better. The more Bible studies I'm in, the better, whatever. Um, and I, now you know, you know me, if you are part of this church, like I'm all about, uh, filling our minds with truth and that being just a steady part of life. But we've got to be incredibly discerning, especially today, because it's so easy for us to get our hands on really, really bad theology. And if we're not discerning, um, we just take everything that everybody says, and a lot of times it's contradicting itself, but we don't, sometimes the messengers are so, they're just so, uh, so much charisma, and they're just so just good communicators and stuff, and sometimes you get caught up in the, in the presentation, and you, if you stop and think about it, you're like, wait a minute, this guy's completely off. And so I think we have to be careful of the podcast we listen to and the, the sermon transcript, transcripts that we read and the services that we catch on TV from time to time and, and the books that we pick up to read and even the quotes that we like pass on to other people are, I mean, Twitter drives me insane because people are like, they'll like retweet something that's wrong. And sometimes I want to be like, do you think that's right? Or were you retweeting it because it's wrong and you're trying to like get the word out that this isn't correct? You know, sometimes I just like, I want to come back at them and say like, no, absolutely not. But then like, you know, it's the whole thing, whatever. Um, I don't. Um, but we have to be really careful about that. Uh, the prosperity gospel that is so weirdly popular today um, cannot be something that we even just dabble with. Um, and, and it's not just these big mega churches in these other cities. I mean, there are churches within our own city who are successful churches, in air quotes, um, and there's just a lot of prosperity gospel that's like worked into it where the gospel is being watered down um, and there's just all these results. And, and it's real easy to be like, wow, you know, this church is really like very successful. And the party has to be like, are they successful? Like is the, is the gospel, like the true gospel being taught or is it being watered down in such a way that it just becomes very appealing? Um, and I, I'm not throwing judgment on other churches by saying that what I am doing is saying, if I'm going to pastor this church, I want all of us, myself included, to be very careful um, about uh, what we're ingesting when it comes to those kinds of things. Even the stuff that I say to you, you God has got to filter that. If I get up here and I'm, if I'm like preaching from the flesh or if I just get super opinionated about something or whatever, and it's contrary to the Word of God or it's inconsistent with the gospel and all these kinds of things, You've got to filter that. Please filter that. Please filter community groups. Please filter um, podcasts. Please filter what you watch on TV. Please filter uh, Twitter and Facebook and all those kinds of other things. 
and make sure that the gospel is not being watered down just to be more appealing. Um, and, I mean, obviously, we, I don't think anybody's like, hey, let's water down the gospel, you know, twist a little mustache, whatever. Let's manipulate everybody into giving a lot, you know, lots of money and whatever. I don't think it's ever that. I could just see, like, I can see how that temptation is there. Because when you come out and you preach hard against sin, it just, it's not warm and fuzzy, you know? Like, when you talk about, talk about holiness, it's just, it's not there. Um, it's just not something that everybody's like, yes, I'm going to bring everybody I know to, to church with me because my church preaches hard against sin. You know, it's like, well, okay, well, we're not going to water down the gospel. Um, we're going to talk about social justice and taking care of those who are hurting and all that kind of stuff. We're going to do that, but it's not going to be just that. There's going to be, like, part of the gospel with it. You know, we're about to um, to get involved with uh, a boy's home in uh, Kolkata, India, uh, these boys that are rescued from this uh, train station and from all this uh, all this horribleness or whatever. One of the things about it that um, that the elders are really drawn to is that uh, the middleman uh, ministry is called His Voice Global. Um, what's so appealing about them, like they're basically going to connect us and then eventually our relationship will be directly to them and His Voice kind of steps out and just functions in support. But their whole deal is like we're not going to go in and just like help help rescue kids and just make their life better or take care of orphans and uh, widows in Sudan and just get them to where they're comfortable and they have something to eat and a roof over their head. We're going to do that and we're also going to bring the gospel to them. Like it's going to be holistic care that we offer. And, I, and I mean, for me, when I, I heard that, I was like, that's just so missing in so many situations where it's, it's just uh, the Jesus side of it is missing. It's like there's Christ-like actions but there's not Christ-like redemption uh, emotionally and spiritually uh, or whatever. And so that's, that's the kind of watering down the gospel that we want to stay away from. So absolutely, we want to do breakfast on the levee as a church and go and, and help feed the homeless community on Sundays and stuff like that. But our goal is, is, is not for it to stop there. Our goal is to establish relationships with them and to talk about the things of the Lord and to talk about redemption and talk about the value of Christ and and His worth and what He has done and His glory um, and that's that's where we're going with it. Now, you don't always jump to that point, but that's where we're going. It's because of stuff like this, like Paul's saying, is like we're not going to water it down. We're not going to tamper with it. Um, we're not going to twist it to say what we want it to say, just so we can appeal to people. And sometimes that means that it's going to be uncomfortable. And we've been talking about you know this missional living, which is just joining God in what he's already doing around the, the earth or across the street or in your office or whatever, um, that sounds so great. We're in here and we're singing and it's, you know, whatever. Um, but I know that it's different when you get out there and you're in conversations with people or you're in situations because the gospel itself, um, like, it has that side to it. And the temptation is to water it down. Um, just be like, I mean, God loves you. You know, like God's there for you and stuff. He's, he's got your back, you know. Instead of to be like, well, the problem here is there's a massive sin issue that's going on. So let's not ignore that. And again, I'm not saying you, you jump right to that. You work toward that. But that's got to be a part of the process for us, not to tamper with the Word of God, but to preach it and to live it and to teach it and to demonstrate it and to reinforce it for what it really is. And so the next couple of verses, like 
he's gonna he's gonna like get into it for us hardcore. And so like this this is something that we've we've all got to understand. The next couple of verses are crucial for us that we really understand the gospel and what is of ultimate importance in it. Um, and I'll be like, I always try to be honest with you, but like I'm trying to get to the point where I see it this way as well. Um, and so please don't hear me talking tonight as like someone who like I've got it. Okay, so you guys just need to like catch up with me. It ain't like that at all. We're all working toward this together. Um, so anyway, all that to say that I just, he's like we're not going to water it down ever. Um, so verse three. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled only to those who are perishing. Okay? So he says, and even if our gospel is veiled, that's what they were saying. Is there, when they were saying his gospel was, like his ministry was ineffective, that's what he was saying. Like that's another way of saying it. So what he's basically saying is like, even if our gospel is ineffective, there's like implied air quotes there. If it is veiled, if there is a problem with it, he's saying the problem is not with the gospel, or Jesus, or us who are proclaiming it. The problem is not; it has nothing to do with the gospel. The problem is on the, the side of the hearer. Even if our gospel is veiled, even if there is, you know, we're sh- struggling to maybe see the results, it's veiled only to those who are perishing. Like, this is probably really dumb, and I, like, there's just so much. Uh, when I look back on my life, I realize that like, I think I was just like in a trance for like most of my childhood. I just didn't pay attention to stuff. Like I was just kind of in the days. And uh, one time I was on an airplane and we were flying, like we were like ascending, and it was it was raining, you know, stormy or whatever. I'm sitting on the window, on the on the window, but next to the window, and uh, that'd be weird. And so we're like climbing or whatever, and, I, and I'm. I'm, no matter how old I get, I'm still like seven. I'm like glued to the window, like just fascinated. And so it's just dark. And you see lightning and you just like whatever, it's just storming or whatever. And we're like climbing, 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 climbing. And then we're like, we break through the top of the cloud deck and it's like the sunniest day ever. And for some reason, like that's like the first time it clicked with me. Like the sun is shining all the time. Yeah. Like always. So above that, those clouds, that sun's just steady shining. Nothing is stopping it. Nothing is holding it back. We just can't see it because that cloud deck is there and the storms are there. And they're blocking it. I think that is what Paul is getting at. Uh, part of what he's getting at in these couple of verses is like, look, the glory of the gospel is shining all the time. Like it never stops. The problem is not on... God's end, it's not the gospel, and it's not us as ministers. The problem is those who are hearing. The problem is the people. The problem is us. So so even if our gospel is being veiled, it's only being veiled to those who are perishing. And then, he expands on it. Verse 4 says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. All right, now, last couple of weeks I've kind of talked about um, the, the idea of, of covenants. 
you know, chapter 3 was all about the new covenant and things like that. Um, and I think there's a, you know, I've been talking about like, a, you know, a mirror and Jesus holding the mirror and all this kind of stuff. There's a, a, one last element that's about to come into that analogy or illustration or whatever you want to call it. Um, and so we, we need to, to understand, if you go back to the beginning of the Bible, um, you know, God creates everything and creates mankind. And the, the point of him making people was like purely uh, like relational and loving. And so he made man and woman in his image. Um, so if you think about his, what his image means, you have this one God who e- eternally exists in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Um, and they're all fully God. They're all equally God. They just they have different roles with, within uh, you know, the Trinity. And one of the things about the Trinity that uh, is just so defining is that there's, just, there's love between the three of them. And so God, in, like when he describes himself in the Bible, there's two predominant like, themes or ideas that he constantly expresses. One, he says that he's holy. So he's perfect and pure and completely just other than anything else we've ever seen or can experience. So he's holy, and the other one is that he is love. And so within the Trinity, there is holiness and purity and perfection and just a completely, just completely other than anything we can imagine. And there is holy love that exists between the three of them. There's no competition. Uh, there's no deception. There's just complete openness, complete just honesty, complete joy, complete love. And so when he creates man and woman, he, it says that he created us in his image. And that, that verbiage is like, it's just like um, when you see, you see like a, someone's son, they look just like the father. In all the ways that the son looks like the father, that's how we are created in his image. Like that's the goal, is for us to look like him and for us to love like him. For us to love him the way that that exists, and for us to love each other in the way that exists. Like everything is just a reflection. And so God creates us for this relational joy and love to exist for all eternity. That's that that was the that's the goal. And so he makes Adam makes Adam, makes Eve in the Garden of Eden, everything's awesome. Um, and the problem comes when uh like there's a choice that was presented there. So God says, "Don't eat of you can eat of any tree in the garden, just don't eat of that one." And um, like most of us, whenever someone says, "Don't do this," that's immediately what you want to do. And so, uh, so that tells us that God created us with with some some choice, like with some some option there. Um, he didn't make us in His image in such a way that we're just like a bunch of robots, because God is not a robot. Like. The Trinity within the Trinity, there's love because they like choose to love, and that's who they that's who they are. So God's not going to make us robots who have to love Him. He's going to make us in His image, choosing to love Him, and that all made perfect sense until Adam and Eve were tempted to do the one thing that they weren't supposed to do, and when they sinned, this separation happened. If you read the story, you know um, they they eat of the apple, all their innocence apple. Like it's not really an apple in the Bible, but. I did go to Sunday school most of my life, so it's always apple in Sunday school, right? And so uh, they eat of the fruit of that tree, and um, they're instantly ashamed. 
because the image of God they were created in has changed, and they're all of a sudden very aware of that. So God does a number of things, but a part of what happens is they, they can't live in the garden anymore, and there's this separation that happens. And I tell you all that story, and you may think, we know all this, we know. I tell you all that story because of this. That separation happened because um, there was an enemy that came in and began to convince Eve, and then Eve convinced Adam, that God is not who he says he is. And he said don't eat of the tree, but he's got some, uh, like, you know, little motives that lie beneath there. He didn't want you to eat of that tree because then you're going to be just like him. He didn't want a rival. He's not who he says he is, and this is not all what you think it is. And, like, you're pretty awesome, and you could probably make a pretty good God too, and just whatever. I'm kind of embellishing a little bit. And this enemy convinced her um, that it was to her benefit to disobey God. And and her, of her just volitional will, said, you know what, I, I think I agree with you. I'm going to eat. And then she convinced Adam. And so that separation that happened between God and humanity was because God was holy, and now Adam and Eve were not. And they are, if you're unholy, you cannot be in the presence of holiness. You'll be destroyed. And so that separation there, like that's, that's the problem. So God creates humanity for this loving, joyful relationship, and now he's separated from them. And for all of you who are in love, you know that separation is a bad thing, right? Yes. So God's plan has has been changed. And the problem with that is that, um, you know, Adam and Eve, they start having kids, and then somehow they met other kids from somewhere, we don't really know. And uh, anyway, so the world got populated, but that whole population went down in that separated from God way. And so that sin just, like, produced... More kids that also had sin, and more kids, and more kids, and more kids, and here we are, still separate. And so God came up with this plan, so the Father, Son, Spirit formed this plan, each of them had a role in the plan, to to take unholy humanity and to make them holy again, so they could be rejoined to God again, so that that joyful, loving relationship, uh, as originally designed, could like, carry itself out through eternity. Now, the bad part of the plan I know some of you are thinking, like, he's told us this the past two weeks, but this is different because we're let's get going somewhere different. So don't check out on me just yet. Um, you can check out later. Um, so, so here's this plan. Biggest fault in the plan is not on God's end, it's on our end because we think that we're awesome. And we think that we're okay. And we don't realize that there are issues. And so God creates this people. And so the, what needs to happen is God needs to make us holy again. And, um, he also has to like let us see that we're not holy because we're born thinking that we're pretty great, so we don't really realize there's a problem. So he starts with, with one guy and his wife, uh, and through the generations creates this nation of Israelites, and he's like, I'm going to start with this group, and I'm going to show this group that they are not holy, and there's nothing that they can do about it, and then I'm going to show them my plan, and then I'm going to make that plan happen, and then from that group, they're just going to go, and they're just going to bless all the nations. I'm going to start with a, a husband and wife, then a small nation, and then just talk to the, like every end of the earth. That's the plan. So he starts with the husband and wife, makes this nation, and he gives them, uh, like, all these, like, he gives them these Ten Commandments, which are a summary of the first five books of the Bible. 
He says, do these 10 things and everything will be fine. So they start trying to do those 10 things and they realize, hey, we, we can't do these things. And they enter into this cycle of like always like they're kind of obedient and then they break the rules. And they're kind of obedient and they break the rules. And it just goes on and on and on and on. And the whole point of the Ten Commandments is, to, like I've been saying, is to serve as a mirror. To be able to show them, hey, you're the problem. So here's holy God creates a plan to show unholy humanity that the problem is with you. So he uses the Ten Commandments like this mirror. They show them, like, look, look at your heart. Describes it as a heart of, of stone, which is sin, which is unholiness. So he's showing them this, this mirror. And then we kind of just built on that analogy that the mirror is there, but Jesus is the one that's holding it. But he's like, look at yourself. Look at, look at your heart. Look at your heart. And the reason he's holding it is because he's the one showing us and because he's the only one that can fix it. So he's like, see this problem? You can't do anything about it, but I can. You can't fix this, but I can. Trying to get us to realize, hey, of this equation, I'm, I'm the problem. So as we work through chapter 3, we, we see that, that there's a veil in place. There's a veil in place, and that veil uh, throughout the Old Testament represents the hardness of heart. So you have these people, and they're looking at this mirror, and so you would think if they're looking at the mirror, they should be able to see the problem, but there's a veil that's there. And that's the irony, is that their hard, the hardness of heart was keeping them from seeing that their hearts were hard. Does that make sense? So they had a heart of stone that kept them from seeing that they had a heart of stone. And it's like a veil in front of the mirror. Like there's something there on the other side, but they can't see it, and they don't know why. And so last week, we talked about Jesus holding the mirror. There's a veil in front of it, and they're sitting there. And he's like telling them, like, hey, you're the problem. There's a problem on your end. There's a problem on your end. I can take that veil away. I can take that veil away. And we look at him like, dude, take the veil away. And the Spirit comes and takes the veil away. And you see the heart for what it is. And you look at Jesus and you say, can you fix this? And he says, yes. Takes out the heart of stone, puts in a heart of flesh, death to life. I mean, everything, that's the gospel. So now we add one more element tonight. Verse 4, once again. Talking about those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Jesus is holding the mirror, and there's a veil, and the Spirit's ready to take it away. And you're sitting there. The Israelites are sitting there, however you want to look at it. But here's the, the next problem that's been added in is that just like Eve in the garden had been convinced that she was like going to be okay, um, we have an enemy who's been lying to us saying we're going to be okay. If you look at when it says uh, the, the God of this world, that's, that's Satan. That's the same um, being that spoke, uh, you know, took the form of a serpent, talked to Eve in the Garden of Eden, same deal. And so the problem gets more complex because not only is Jesus standing there, and there's the veil, and there's the person uh, who can't see the mirror, now there's a veil also over, your, over the mind where you just don't really care. You think that everything's fine. And that's the, man, that's the part about ministry that's so difficult. It's like, here, here we are, we have, we have like the, 
the best news ever. We're supposed to be taking it to the world, and you would just think everybody would be like, absolutely. I want that veil removed. But, I mean, how many times have you talked to somebody and they're like, ah, whatever. This verse explains why. Because they have an enemy who has lied to them over and over and over. And said, God's not who he says he is. The church, are you kidding me? Those hypocrites? You ever heard of the Crusades? Come on, there's no way. Christians are hypocrites. And churches are, you know, empires and all this kind of stuff. Or be like, whatever, uh, you know, the gospel, okay, whatever. Jesus died for your sins, you're fine, you've never killed anybody. It's just a bunch of rules that try to control you and take your money. What about all the other religions? I mean, they're pretty, like, devout and other things. I mean, what if, what if the Muslims are right? Or what if the Buddhists are right? Or whatever, who knows? I mean, whatever. And, I mean, you really think, I mean, hell? Come on, for real? I thought God was love, you know? I mean... All these things, they're just lies, 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 lies. And so the person sitting in front of the mirror a lot of times just doesn't really care. Just whatever. And so for all of us who are in ministry, I mean, you love the opportunities like when someone is talking to you and they're just open. You're like, man, this is awesome. Those are the days you're like, man, I, I could do this. I could, I could join God in what he's doing. I can be missional. Then you have people who have like every reason you could possibly list to not want anything to do with God and you kind of have a hard time disagreeing with them because they've got some baggage or they've been lied to and you believe some of those same lies and whatever. And so that's the that's the the illustration that I think we're working with now. Jesus, mirror, fail, person, blinded. And if it stopped there, I mean, that's like the most frustrating thing ever, right? You're just like, oh, well, okay, what are you going to do? Look at what he, what he says. Look a little bit more closely. Look at verse 4 again. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Look at that. That line, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Okay? Here's a massive truth for us as, as believers, as um, ministers of the new covenant, as, as a church. It's for us to, to understand what the gospel is really all about. Um, Heaven, great. You know? Forgiveness, restoration, a community to live in and to worship with and to, I mean, how many times, I, I, I can't tell me how many times I've heard people just in, in awe of the way that like real biblical community just like takes care of each other. When people see it for the first time or experience it for the first time, they're just overwhelmed with that. I mean, that's phenomenal. Um, I mean, there's just so many things about the gospel that are great. But there's one thing that is like supreme over everything else. And that's the glory of Christ. 
and the, the glory of Jesus, the glory of, of God, like that's, that's the centerpiece for us. And there's so many times where the, the person who's sitting there, who's been blinded to the light of the gospel, um, has been blinded because the centerpiece of the gospel has not been what's been it's not been communicated, you know. It's not look at our God. I mean, look at look at him. Look look at him, you know? because the gospel has been communicated as rules, you know? Or the gospel and Christianity have been too too closely associated somehow. So Christianity is you know, it's I mean, it's a it's a process for us. You know, we're all in process together, we're growing together, we're learning, we're struggling together. Um that's not that's separate from the gospel, you know? Sometimes you know that's the problem. Sometimes it's because uh, preaching hell is a really effective way of getting people down the aisle and filling out cards. Um, but it's an incomplete gospel. I mean, going to heaven and not going to hell is definitely a part of the gospel, but it's not the only part. This is especially that time of year where where churches like do those events where it's like it's a haunted house and you get in there and it's like scenario after scenario of, you know, you might die on the way home tonight, and you might burn in hell like this, you know, and like lights come up, and there's people people screaming in torment, you know? Never, man. I mean, Jesus talked about hell. I'm not saying that, like, we should deny it. Jesus also talked about heaven. He also talked about money. He also talked about forgiveness. I mean, he talked about all kinds of stuff. But we can't The gospel is about the glory of God. And his goodness and His grace and His mercy, and just who He is, I was just being consumed with that. It's about a return to that original deal. Father, Son, Spirit, holiness and love create us in His image. And it's about us being returned to that so that we can see Him for who He is and respond to that and be loved by Him and he can, we can love him in return forever and ever and ever. It's about the glory of Christ. So, what has really happened, whether the lie that, that has been communicated by the enemy, whether it's about church, or it's about the Bible, or it's about Jesus, or it's about um, you know, Christianity being rules, or it's you know, heaven or hell, whatever it is, it's all these different ways that the enemy, the God of this world, blinds them to the light of the gospel, the glory of God as revealed in Jesus Christ. So it's, we, we literally have this enemy who's like, how can I blind this person from the goodness and glory of the Lord? And for some, it's through church baggage. Um, and so that's the way he blinds them. And for some, it's, just, it's from too many negative experiences with Christians, and that's how he blinds them. And with some, uh, it's through, you know, it's through science and creation and all this kind of stuff, whatever, uh, blinds. And for some, it's logic. And for some, it's the sincerity of believers in other religions. And for, um, for others, it is like actually like other religions and false gods and all this kind of stuff. And 
however it, it can happen, uh, it can be through like bad parents or bad, terrible friends or you know just whatever. How can I blind this person from seeing that there's a veil in front of them? It, from seeing that there's a veil blocking the mirror that shows them they have a heart of stone that's being held by the, the only one who can change it. How can I blind them from that? And so what in the world do we do? I mean, how do you, how do you get around that? How do you fix that? What do you, how does that change? I have no idea. If you're looking for like a practical, like, like, hey, yeah, I, I need to know this. How can I, I don't have the practical answer. That's the mystery of ministry for us. It's like, how does that ever change ever? Think about your own life. Because at one point, you were the person sitting down in front of the mirror. If you're a Christian, at one point, you were sitting in front of that mirror, and the enemy had blinded you to the glory of God. Somehow. And you thought you were fine. And that changed at some point. Look at, look at the next verse. Um, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. Okay? We don't proclaim ourselves, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. Alright? If you want to know how that situation changes, that that is the only thing that lies on our side of the responsibility is to preach Jesus Christ as Lord. Now preach, like some of you they're just like me, that when you think preach, you think like pulpit. You think seminary, you know. You think official ordained minister. Um, and that's a part of, well, it's one of the many terms that we're trying to let God redefine. That's not what it is. Because you, you preach when you go to work. You preach when you go home. You, you're preaching all the time, all the time, all the time. Like I said a couple weeks ago, um, I know that everybody likes to, you know, preach the gospel at all times and necessarily, necessarily use words. And I'm all about lifestyle, you know, evangelism or whatever. But, um, Jesus wasn't a mime. He spoke. We have to be able to speak. We have to be able to speak and articulate what we believe and what we know to be true. So Jesus Christ as Lord is what you are called to preach and to proclaim to people around you. It doesn't mean you have to yell. It doesn't mean you... And you definitely, definitely don't need to be oogie about it. But you need to be faithful, and you need to be ready, and you need to be able to sum up the gospel in a way that doesn't involve busting out a track. Jesus Christ is Lord. You're not going to have 30 minutes to take out you know, the Tupperware boxes that all fit inside each other or to talk about Jesus holding a mirror because they're not going to understand it. You may not understand it. I think I understand it. But we have to be ready to be able to sum up what the gospel is. And do it in a way that's not like, well, I mean, if you don't believe him, he's going to punish you in hell for eternity. So don't do that. Get it right. It's about the glory of God. It's about the goodness of God. It's seeing him for who he is. So that's that's on our end. That's the, uh, you know, the... That's the effort that we're called to. You know what? That is not going to change that person's mind. 
Because we have an enemy who is better at blinding them than you and I are at like really working hard to convince them. But nonetheless, we're sent in there to bring that message. And here's where it all comes to life. Verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He's quoting Genesis. So we have this God who's literally literally able to create things just by speaking it into existence. So it's completely dark, and he says, let there be light, and there's light. We don't know what that looks like. We don't know he just said it, and it happens. And he speaks it, and land is created, and he speaks it, and water is created, and he, he speaks it, and man is created. So you know what? When he speaks into your life and says you're forgiven, if he can say Grand Canyon and that happens, then he can definitely look at your life and say you're forgiven, and it's, it's for real. So look at the verse again. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So here's what happens. Jesus told in the mirror, the person sitting there is a veil covering up and they've been blinded by the enemy. And we go in and we're just preaching Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus Christ as Lord. The glory of the Lord. The glory of God. Like that's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And in that process, God literally says, let there be light. And everything changes. Let light come out of darkness. That trumps anything that the enemy is going to be saying about the church or the Bible or Christians or whatever. Completely trumps it. That when God says, let there be light, there's light. So God says, let there be light. And he uses our like feeble attempt at communicating the gospel to do that. So through us, he says to that person, let there be light. And that blindness is lifted. And they're looking, and they're like, I know there's something going on there. I'm not really sure what's going on. Like, I know some, something's happening. I need to know what's on the other side of that mirror. And Jesus says, you want to let the veil lift? There's a veil. Oh, there's a veil. Take that away. And the Spirit takes that away. And they see their heart. And like, whoa, that's a heart of stone. Like, I've been trying my whole life to figure out what life is about. And I can't because my stupid heart is made of stone. And she says, yeah, I can, I, can, I can fix that. You look at him and say, will you fix it? And he says, yes. And when you look at him and you say, will you fix it? You never look away. You, you never look away. Because you see that heart of stone and you hear the one saying, I can fix it. And when you look at him, you see his glory. And you never look away. You never look away. And he rips out that heart and he's doing all this stuff and you're just fixated on him. Because when you see the glory of the Lord, you don't want to see anything else. I'm not saying we walk around in a trance, and I'm not saying you're perfect forever, but I'm saying like once you see it, you know what's real. 
we may look other places to try and find peace and security and all this kind of stuff, we're always going to come back to the glorious one in front of us every single time. And so when we talk about missional living, that's the that's that's what we're going for. You're you're dealing with things that are bigger than you. But yet the one who's in charge of it all has created you and sent you into people's lives to use say let there be light. So the last verse Verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. This incredible treasure, the knowledge of the glory of God, this incredible treasure is held in these cruddy jars. These earthen vessels, I mean just the most plain, ordinary, whatever. And they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. These kids were throwing rocks in a cave and they heard something break. And they find these just the most ancient uh, like manuscripts of the Bible that we have. They've been preserved in these old clay pots for hundreds and hundreds of years. It's crazy. So here's this thing that now, it, they, they tour these around this museum and they're in these like special cases and they're all like, you know, it's all just like preserved. And this is treasure. It's worth so much to us sitting in these cruddy clay pots in this cave. And that, that's us, man. We walk around and we've got the most important thing ever. Jesus Christ is Lord. The glory of God. We're always thinking about, you know, like, oh man, who am I? And I fumble over my words and I don't really understand this and I can't really talk this and this and this and this. And he's like, yeah, you're a jar of clay. And God has put that treasure in jars of clay so that the glory goes to him and not to you. So all these guys have these like slick preachers that like dress all well and drive well and have all these this all this whatever. Keep it. I'd rather be like the most ordinary dude ever. Because that's that's what people connect with. People look at our lives and they're like, if God can change that dude, God can change her, he can do anything. Treasure, jar clay. So that God gets the glory, not us. Let me just read this to you. We'll put it on the screen. You don't have to flip to it. When Jesus commissioned Paul in Acts 26, this is what he tells him. He says, And I said, who are, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He used to go and arrest Christians, basically. So this is the one who wrote that letter. This was his commissioning from Jesus himself. But rise and stand up on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you to, here it is, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Here's what here's Paul, commissioned by God, sent out, and all he does is he goes and he passes that commissioning on. He passes that commissioning on constantly, constantly, constantly. That was his experience with Jesus, but it was not limited to him. That's something for all of us. 
And so we go and we preach and we use words and we use actions. Because people don't realize there's a problem. One, because their hearts are stoned, and two, because they've been lied to. And God looks at their life and says, let there be light. Everything changes. For some reason, he uses us. I don't know why, I don't know how, but he does. It's what we're called to. It's what we're doing. And, yeah. Let's pray. Father, um, I really just have no idea why you would uh, entrust us with a treasure like this. Um, but that's a part of your plan. I mean, you have sent out all these jars of clay to go and to live and uh, to preach and to proclaim. You've, you've entrusted the most important message ever to us. And um, I pray, God, that, that we would just continue to try and be more and more faithful with it. That we don't have to be weird, we don't have to be oogie, it doesn't have to be, we don't have to yell at people and condemn them. Um, but we want to we wanna present the most accurate picture of who you are that we can. We thank you, God, that you use us in spite of our weaknesses. And I know, God, we've, we've been here for a couple of weeks talking about this. Pray you just continue to make some things come alive in us. Let's, let's stand together. We're just going to sing.